Hello and welcome to Growth Masterminds. We are providing insight from the smartest people we know to help smart marketers get better. And this is the very first episode. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Nowhere to go but up from here and I hope you're gonna love it. My first guest, our very first guest, super pumped to have him, worked for Skype in Estonia. He wrote a book on freemium economics. He was the head of marketing for Wooga Games, you've heard of them. He was also the vice president of user acquisition for Rovio, ever heard of Angry Birds? Only about a couple billion or trillion downloads. Also, he started his own company called Agamemnon, which was pretty high tech, and we'll talk a little bit about that. He was also the head of platform for Network. You've heard of Legendary, Game of Heroes, and he runs Mobile Dev Memo and a couple other projects that we'll talk to. I'd like to welcome Eric Soufer. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on the very first podcast. Excellent. Super pumped to have you. You are in Texas right now. Is that not correct? That is correct. I'm in a little town called New Braunfels, which uh, is kind of famous for... Um, well, being settled by Germans, but um, as the name implies, it runs a big festival every year called Worst Fest, where everyone gets together and wears kitschy uh, alpine uh, yodeling outfits and drinks a lot of uh, beer <laughs> and eats Wow, wow. Worst Fest. That's that's worst as in W-U-R-S-T, not worst as in W-O-R-S-T. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not the worst festival. It's a festival of bratwurst. I'm, I'm actually not here for that. Um, there's like a really nice river here. So we got a river house and uh, we're just hanging out, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of what the city's known for. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very good. Well, thanks for being on the show. Super well, uh, super happy to have you. And we're going to dive into a lot of topics. You've had an amazing career doing really, really cool things. And, uh, we want to talk about some of those and maybe some of the next steps and what you're moving to next as well. I wanted to kick off with the mobile marketing landscape. Um, I, I've sometimes called it a landscape of chaos. It's funny, you run Mobile Dev Memo, which is a Slack group on basically experts helping experts uh, doing uh, what they're doing in terms of user acquisition, mobile marketing, other things like that. What's interesting to me is you've got experts coming here and they always have more questions. There's always stuff changing. Talk to me a little bit about that and the complexity, even for people who are immersed in this daily. Sure. Um, so a little background on Mobile Dev Memo. It, it is a Slack group. Um, there's, I think, I think we've reached a thousand people, um, which is after I did a pretty big purge um, a couple months back, which I won't do again because I wrote a script that just kicked out anyone who was like defined as inactive by Slack, which I think is um, is like two weeks of inactivity. Yes. Uh, and so it kicked all these people out, and then I just got this torrent of emails from people asking to be added back in. And it was, so it was more trouble than it was worth. But anyway, uh, it's the Slack group, but it's also my uh, kind of trade blog. So mobiledevmemo.com. It's where I've been publishing a weekly column since like 2014. Um, you, you know, usually related to, to either mobile marketing slash mobile advertising or kind of freemium monetization. Um, it's also a newsletter. So the newsletter goes out every Monday. Uh, a couple thousand subscribers. So it's kind of this multifaceted public publication uh, project for me. Well, just thinking about mobile now, um, it's really interesting how it's evolved um, since since I got you know involved um, or started working in it. But but even just in the last few years, um, the way things have shaken out is is pretty fascinating. But I tell people that I think now is kind of the most exciting time um, 
that I've experienced because there's just a lot of stuff happening. I think you've got a lot of change that's coming and it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, how just kind of products adapts to that change, which is mostly going to be targeted at advertising, right? So if you think about um, there's going to be regulation that comes, I mean, just broadly applied to tech, but that will affect mobile um, probably disproportionately around the way that people are targeted with ads, right? I mean, that's that's coming. Um, And so, you know, how do you pivot into that now? How do you build flexible process and strategy that will not wither when that happens, right? And if you think about the way that a lot of people do marketing, the way that they do marketing now just can't adapt to that. It will break. It's fragile. Um, I wrote an article about this. What will break exactly, Eric? Their business, their business models, the way that they do marketing, the way that a lot of people sustainably grow their products now is, is just not, will not react to those changes in a way that um, allows them to continue operating. I wrote an article about this a couple months ago called uh, would your business survive the elimination of the IDFA? And yes. so if, if you are building your user base kind of like the way that most people do, which is like sort of incrementally at the user level um, through systematic paid acquisition, if the IDFA goes away, you're you're done. Like if all of your measurement um, is oriented towards that and all of your measurement um, and, and your, essentially your business model is, is uh, oriented towards that, if the IDFA gets deprecated, you're out, like you're done. You just can't, you won't be able to operate that way anymore. And you'll have to either like very quickly, like regroup, which a lot of companies aren't really good at that. Um, or you'll just die. You'll be beaten by someone who's more flexible. So if you think about the companies that I see operating, you know, kind of in the most sophisticated way now, they don't really think about growth that way. It's not like all my measurement is predicated on, I acquired that user. This is how much they're worth to me. Um, and then I just aggregate a bunch of those users up and that's my user base. It's, it's more of like a holistic modeling approach um, with like a media mix model thinking about, okay, I've got out of home, I've got um, digital, um, any form of digital and all of that kind of um, works in concert to, to, to build a user base. And I don't necessarily think about the unit economics at the ad level or the campaign level or the user level. I think about like global unit economics um, in a way that um, supports all those different uh, channel types. That's super interesting because that's almost a return to uh, some of the older days of marketing uh, that before the, this sort of golden age of mobile marketing with all the personal data and IDFAs, device, device identifiers and all that. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. But I, I think in a way that that never really went away. I mean, if you if you talk to people, if you talk to like the, the people at like the the really sophisticated shops, um, you know, they've, they've always kind of had that outlook. It's just that, you know, digital makes things, you know, more granularly, um, measurable. Right. Um, and so some people use that as a crutch. Now that's a, it's a great thing, um, to have that. And, and it makes, uh, it, it, it makes it possible to get like extreme transparency into your marketing spend. And it, it allows you to scale up, um, campaigns, um, you know, relatively easily, um, and cheaply, right? Because if, if you're just running ads on Facebook or whatever, and you can measure the cost per click and install, and you can measure like day zero row ads and all that kind of stuff, um, you don't need a, a massive machinery supporting that, right? You, you, you just see right. what the results are and you kill stuff that doesn't work. But if you don't have that, and we might not have that, right? So if you think about IDFA goes away, it's, it's a, it's a, that's, a, that's a fundamental change to the way people do digital marketing. 
Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that could happen too, right? So, I mean, if you think about um, even like um, LAT, uh, limit ad tracking, I mean, that that had a, a pretty massive impact. Um, but people not wanting to share, like if you if you think about even just like if GDPR gets teeth, which it looks like it kind of is, um, yeah. or you know, the California Privacy Act is much more extreme than GDPR. If that gets if that gets applied um, at uh, like a federal level, and all of a sudden, like any of this data that just can't be shared across services, like so, even if the IDFA doesn't go away, but you have this inability to kind of share share data across services, or even pair um, like third party data to identifiers, or or even like um, you know pair monetization data to identifiers. Like the way that we do digital marketing just would change completely. Um, and so the, the conversations that I've had um, lately have been kind of tense and like paranoid about those kinds of changes. And then the way that they just would completely upend all, all the infrastructure that most companies have built to do marketing. Exactly. And then when you're talking about IDFA, obviously you're talking about the iOS ecosystem, but I assume you're also talking about Google identifier for advertisers as well, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think Apple tends to lead on this stuff and I haven't heard any whispers about Google eliminating the ad ID, whereas I have with Apple. So, I mean, it's a little bit different. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not different, but I think Apple would do it first and then Google would probably follow. Um, but I mean, there, there's other stuff too. You know, it's IDFA going away. Okay. That's, that's on kind of top of mind for most people. Um, but I also just think that the concentration of market share within Google and Facebook is forcing a lot of this too, right? Because what you see a lot of companies dealing with is like you actually can launch a product really easily on Facebook um, and see a lot of success. And, and, and then that just like sort of plateaus, right? So you see this a lot actually with DDC brands, right? So they, um, you know, you can spin up campaigns that do like break even 30 day, uh, you know, with AEO and VO campaign types on Facebook. And you can scale that to, let's say, 100 sales a day, right? And so your early metrics look really great and really encouraging. But the thing is, like, AEO and VO, they don't really scale that well, and they start to saturate really quickly. Uh, and so can you grow that to 1,000 sales a day? Can you grow that to 10,000 sales a day? And, and obviously, you'd expect that your performance degrades, but it degrades so sharply. And so what a lot of DTC companies do is they see that early success, they go and they raise money. And then they, they actually can't scale that success meaningfully beyond what they raise money on. So they just have to go elsewhere. I mean, there's just no choice. When Google and Facebook own 80% of the growth for digital, if they own 50% of the market and you know you can only scale so far with them, where do you go? Not digital. So a lot of companies are really exploring non-digital formats now for that reason. I mean, even beyond just the technical aspect of identifiers may be going away. What's super interesting as we're having this conversation is that I've seen some data recently on <clears throat> advertising that is targeted to a person or persona that's that's customized, that's personalized, which has kind of been the digital marketer's holy grail for some years that I send the right ad to the right person at the right time and magic happens. And some data coming out recently kind of suggests that Actually, there's not a lot of magic that happens there. Well, first of all, we're not super good at doing that, sending the right ad to the right person at exactly the right time. But, but, but also, contextual advertising works almost as well, if not better. Yeah. Whenever I see those studies or like vendors operating that space, I feel like the results that they sort of showcase kind of tend to suffer from like a confirmation bias, right? So like, 
if you show me a campaign where it's like, hey, I, I, my new tool allows you to build like a customer journey with advertising. And so you're going to show them an ad here and then here and then here and then here. And we've tested all the different configurations of those placements and the timings and the chronology. And we've, and like, we've enabled you to deliver what you said, the right message at the right time. And Hey, look at the performance. Um, okay. But you never see that sort of compared against just a baseline of performance for that last thing. Right. So, you know, if you tell me like, Hey, my product helps you show the sequence of five Facebook ads and look at how much better it did than the worst performing variant of those five (laughs) Facebook ads, I would say, okay, great. Like, well, just show me just the last ad. And is there a meaningful performance boost there? Because then I just, I spent, you know, four times whatever the CPM is in addition to that. I don't know. I'm always kind of wary of that stuff. I think um, what I do think though, is that like with the way that Facebook and Google pivoted into um, the algorithmic campaign management, you've seen the sort of locus of impact shift in mobile specifically from campaign management and button clicking and media buying to creative strategy and analysis, right? So like to me, you know, if you think about like five years ago, what a UA team looked like, it looked like kind of an army of media buyers. And then you had like an artist and and you did like a creative report once a week. Now it's like you have an army of creative people. And I, I don't mean that they are creative. I mean, like you have an army of people working on creative and you have a bunch of analysts and you have like a few media buyers. Yes. Uh, and so that personalization thing, I think that there's something to that. I don't know about it being like a deterministic, um, uh, ad journey. I think it's more like we create a variant of this ad for everyone, right? We create thousands or tens of thousands of variants of this ad and we let Facebook and Google determine the best pairing. And that, that I think is a very powerful idea. And that's how you've seen mobile marketing emerge now to where your goal as a mobile marketer is to make sure you let Facebook and Google do the heavy lifting on showing the right thing to the right person because they know those people better than you do um, just based on their data sets. And they're also just better at testing that, doing it quickly at scale. So your job is to come up with the right ad variant for them, like the right creative. That's super interesting. And I've seen that from a lot of people. But the interesting thing as well there is that um, you're paying Google to uh, show that to a bunch of people, learn which one is going to work out best. You're also paying uh, Facebook to do the same work. And actually, are you extracting any of that intelligence yourself to use anywhere else? Well, no, and that's and that goes back to what I was talking about before. That's why some people are just you either opt fully in or you opt out. You you accept that hey, Facebook owns this data, I don't, and it's inaccessible to me, and so I'm going to go build my own data set um, with these other sort of channels, and I and I'm just going to think about marketing holistically, and I own that model at the sort of macro level. I'll let Facebook own the digital piece of that for for their budget right but yeah i mean you're right and i think that's what's frustrating to people and i think that walled garden idea at some point might work against facebook i mean facebook's a behemoth and obviously google is too but i think if you if you kind of hold that data hostage at some point i think what facebook thought when they shifted to this approach with, with the algorithmic approach was that look we just make it so easy to go all in on facebook and if we own the data and you can't use it to the benefit of your campaigns that run elsewhere, you probably at some point for, especially at like a lower level of spend, you're just going to say, you know what, I'm just going to give all my money to Facebook. Like it's easier. It's like, you know, the, 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 the least amount of friction, I'm just going to give it all to them. It's like, that's, that's, that's the lowest resistance thing for me to do. Well, 
once you get to scale that spend, people get they resent it. They resent it, and and also you see the degradation of quality or degradation of performance, and you see the diminishing returns, and you think, wow, actually, if I were able to carve some of the spend off and put it elsewhere, I think I would have better overall performance. And I think that is partially what's behind the rise of programmatic. And I think that's partially why people are starting to explore sort of like digital, non-Facebook, non-direct response, non-even, uh, you know, mobile channels. Let's talk about that briefly and talk about the rise of programmatic as opposed to just going into Facebook or just going into Google or just doing those two. What do you see there? What's happening and, and why is it happening? I, I'm always I'm, – so I, I see there's something happening. I mean, there's definitely – a lot of activity there. And I mean, honestly, that's probably three out of every four phone calls I have with, with advertisers that, you know, want to work with me. It's because they're trying to bring programmatic in house. Um, I'm hesitant to say it's, 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 uh, you know, a sort of turning point because people have been saying that for like six years, like this is the year. Um, but it, I mean, program, I mean, you, the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, programmatic spend has grown like 50% year over year for like the last two years. Um, from you know a much much lower baseline, but it's still it's growing like crazy. I, but I think I think it's it's in response to the Facebook and the Google go, uh, Facebook and Google going uh, algorithmic and you know holding that data hostage, right? Because programmatic is expensive. It's hard to do right. Um, it takes a huge amount of investment in infrastructure, but you 100% own the data, right? And so if you look at the landscape, um, and I just I wrote my article for Mobile Dev Memo this week is on this topic. Um, so I guess that'll Good come timing. out by the time. Sorry. Good timing. Yeah, but I guess it'll be out by the time this this publishes. But if you look at the landscape, you if you're you know if you're a mobile advertiser, especially if you're promoting an app, you've got the self attributing networks um, which own your data, right? They 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 put a big they wrap their arms around your data and you know they own it for all intents and purposes. Uh, you've got the ad networks that are basically just like brokers connecting you know buyers and sellers um and then you've got programmatic and well with the ad networks you know some of them are starting to move into publishing and so you're going to be reticent to give them your data um but they can't really do their job well without it um the sans you're giving your data to them i mean anyway you have you you have to i mean you have to be working on you have to be running on facebook and google um and, but, you know, they own it. And, and at some point you hit a wall with scale um, just because of the nature of those of AEO and VO and, and UAC. Um, and so the only thing you have left, the only recourse you have left for, you know, untapped growth opportunities is programmatic. Interesting, interesting, interesting. You talked a little bit uh, earlier when we were prepping for this podcast about the duopoly or the triumvirate and can anything threaten it? Uh, talk uh, briefly about those companies that you're referring to and, and, and what might threaten it. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else uses the term triumvirate. I can't. I, I started calling, so the du duopoly is Google, Facebook. Yes. I, I started calling Google, Facebook, Amazon the triumvirate. I don't know if anybody else does it. Um, I'm not sure either, but it's certainly rising fast, isn't it, Amazon? Yeah, so Amazon is an interesting participant here because I mean they have all of they have all the components to build like a just gigantic you know rival to Facebook and Google I'm I think Amazon likes to do things slowly and methodically and thoughtfully um, and incrementally and so my sense is that that's why they haven't I mean they they, they bought um, Seismic and so they're making moves there um, 
But I mean, if you think about all the customer data that Amazon has, so what I, what, I, what I think is interesting and what I think kind of also supports this thesis that people are moving to kind of like this holistic measurement um, approach is that Amazon can wrap all their data about not just anything that you've done on their website, but like all the purchases that you've made, um, you know, what you've asked for with Alexa, all that kind of stuff. They can wrap all of that in to their sort of um, targeting mechanic. And so, you know, you just, you have, you, not only do you have like all this great, you know, sort of like on device data, but you have a bunch, then you get a bunch of like geo-based data. You have like sort of like real world product data and it just becomes a whole lot more robust than just like, oh, this person um, searched for this once or they've monetized in games. So they're gamers with disposable income. Like all the, all the profiling that Facebook can do is just based on your activity on the on device, and I mean, I've I've heard like some really paranoid stuff about what Facebook does. Um, I don't know how much of it's true. Like I heard one someone someone told me that Facebook tracks. So so I've heard that Facebook has like a hundred thousand plus dimensions um, that it uses in any given user's user profile. That's a lot. and I've heard and so they they have all this stuff, and some of them are like kind of synthetic based on like other dimensions, and some of them are, are based on just like um, you know in in app. Uh, usage data, but I someone told me that they were pitching agencies on their ability to determine someone's like weight or like someone's like basically size because they they tracked like the swing of the phone in your pocket. Are you? Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, so, so like your your gait, right? Like how yeah, how quickly you walk. And, like, and I I was like, okay, maybe that's true. I don't know how. I mean, I if that adds like a little bit of. I don't know, whatever precision to the targeting, maybe they'd want to do that. It just seems so creepy. And that's just the kind of stuff that, I mean, it's like someone had that idea at Facebook and pitched it to their, you know, boss and they were like, oh yeah, that'll improve targeting. And it's like, if that gets out, people are going to be so creeped out. Like it's just, that is so self-defeating. How much more precise is that making targeting to be worth just the ick factor that you know, people you know feel when they hear about that. It just it just feels like that the the the, the incremental value add of that specific um, measurement is so small compared to the risk of people just being grossed out by Facebook calculating that. But anyway, and you can bet that if there was any such project or 10, 15, 25 others similarly or or like that, they are they have been canceled. <laughs> Facebook is in a new environment. Uh, post Cambridge Analytica and all the other things that have gone on recently with the legislation, the FTC fine and everything, you can bet there's a new bar, a new standard for projects that they greenlight now. You'd hope so. But I mean, the sad part is how believable that is. And so it almost just doesn't even really matter if it's true. If people are like, no way, you know, then if it's, you know, if it's not true, then it, it doesn't hurt you. But if people are like, oh, yeah, I, I can see them doing that. They're, they're pretty creepy. Um, then it's pain. It's that the pain is already baked in, right? Like the, the, um, you know, it, is, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. That is a challenge once you lose trust, right? I mean, the, that, that's a real challenge. But interestingly, you brought, it, you brought up Amazon, right? And Amazon knows where you live. Uh, they knows what pr products you buy. If you're, if you're a Prime member, they know a lot more about you. They know your mu music preferences. They know uh, some, of the, some of the movies that you like to watch. Uh, if you're on Twitch, they know uh, what games you might be interested in. They have a huge data set that, that is really interesting. Yeah, they know what you watch. I mean, uh, 
you know, they've got the, uh, uh, what is it, Amazon channels now. So they, they um, aggregate all the different um, streaming services so they know what you watch. Yeah, Amazon is a beast. Um, and I, I think, I mean, it just feels like they're, they're moving in that direction. Um, I, you know, I, I just don't know how, what the pace is going to be. I mean, I don't think they've necessarily thought, because they already do, they already do a big business on mo- with with ads, right? I mean, yes. um, I wrote a post recently about that. You know, Ma- the Mary Meeker uh, presentation this year. They showed like, oh yeah, well, there's 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 um, this this ads ecosystem, the the advertising ecosystem uh, on mobile is really diverse, right? Because you've got okay, Facebook and Google, they have a lot of market share, but then look at all these other entrants and uh, all these other participants, and they own like X percent, right? And then if you, but if you broke that out, it was actually just Amazon. It was like, she had this, this chart and it was like, okay, here's Facebook and Google. You remove them, but she didn't like break. And she, and she's like, you still got, you've got Amazon, you've got snap, you've got Pinterest, um, you know, and on and on. And like, but yeah, but if you broke that out, Amazon was 95% of that. So it's like, it is kind of just Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, at, you know, at meaningful scale. Uh, and I guess, you know, it, it, it's probably only a good, you know, obviously competition always is better for the consumer. And in this case, the consumer is advertisers, right? Yes. Um, so I, I think it's great if Amazon, um, you know, just continues to make inroads there. They've already got a big business and I guess they, they do probably want to be like very methodical and they might just be kind of waiting to see how this stuff shakes out. Cause I mean, it's just, it's, it, to me, it feels like it's a fait accompli that some big sweeping regulation gets passed. And now the, the, the only question is like, how severe is it? Um, you get a couple more of these Cambridge Analytica type situations, which, and, you know, my, my opinion on Cambridge Analytica was like that was, um, you know, kind of blown out of proportion. I don't think that was actually like a serious issue. Um, but, you know, it was kind of the most people's sort of like introduction to to um, to the to the uh, the, the broad, um, you know, sort of like data uh, profiling that Facebook does. Yeah. Um, and so even though that 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 sort of um, that incident wasn't, uh, you know, kind of significant. It, the, the, in, the, the idea of that, what could happen was probably more significant and probably um, scarier to people. But, you know, we'll, we'll just see what the magnitude of that is. And I think, you know, you see a lot of people, um, some of these firebrands in, um, you know, particularly in the house um, who, are, who, are, who are basically building their, their profiles on being anti-tech. And so, like, if you see... If, if, you know, some of these people feel the need to, um, to make tech a, a boogeyman, then this, this, the regulation could be like quite severe. It could be, it could be, uh, super interesting and, and, and super interesting as well that the issue is not always the issue, right? I mean, uh, whether it was Cambridge Analytica or, or another, another privacy issue, it came to the fore. It's kind of like FaceApp right now, which everybody is talking about. I wrote a story on Forbes, but it got at almost 3 million views right now. Um, and it's not a worse app than uh, dozens, if not hundreds of other uh, apps out there. But it's just the one that happened to catch, capture the attention and, and, and get, all the, uh, get all the anger. Uh, but anyways, let's, let's, let's come back um, as we kind of draw near the end of our time here. We've talked about a lot of things, about mobile marketing, the future, where we've come from, where we're going, some of the challenges, uh, the duopoly or the triumvirate. Let's talk a little bit about the future. Uh, you know, we're talking maybe four, six months out or something like that. And, and, and maybe come back to some of the things that you're talking about. What's it look like to be a mobile marketer three months out, six months out? How's it changing? 
and what 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 needs to change about your skill set and maybe your approach as you move forward? Yeah, sure. I think I my so my um, my belief is that you know marketing is is a pretty technical um, analytical like job, right? It's a, it's a, it's pretty technical and analytical career. And I think just because mobile marketing was kind of like emergent, you had, you know, it was just, if you had expert, you know, if you had experience in, um, you know, just running, you know, spinning up, like basically the, the mechanics of, of doing, uh, marketing, like just build, you know, setting up campaigns, setting up, um, attribution, setting up reporting. If you had experience in that, you, you were a mobile marketer and, and you were, you know, you were, you were valued, right? Like that was, you know, that, that was the value that you brought was that experience, not necessarily, um, the, the more strategic side of things. And I think that has changed, that has definitely changed a lot. Right. So like, if you think, if you think about like what I was talking about earlier with the levers available to marketers being all of that analysis that goes into doing creative well, and and doing um, and basically optimizing for events and figuring out which events that you should be sending to these um, platforms for, for doing optimization on their campaigns and like that then the job does seem really technical right like if you yep. all the other stuff now is kind of commoditized and and so the services are to some degree but also just like the the process of setting them up is so like your your value now is not like well I know how to use an attribution service and I know how to do reporting. Um, and I can just sort of coordinate all that. Now it's like, well, okay, I actually am like quite technical and I can, um, I can understand why, uh, creatives work or don't. And I can understand why targeting works or doesn't. And I can, you know, prove that out with like the analysis, then it's, it's just a different role. And so I think that's changing. Um, but also I, I just, teams are getting smaller too, because, because of, you know, because of the algorithmic, uh, campaign management, you just don't need that huge army of media buyers now. And I think, um, you know, you could, you could operate uh, a team that's, you know, doing multiple millions of dollars of spend per month with, you know, a couple people. Um, and so I think it's, it, it felt like there was kind of like a boom time and that's definitely, um, over. Um, and you know, now it's like, well, and now what you see is a lot of, and I think you wrote about this the other day, uh, you see a lot of like VP growth, you know, I haven't seen any like chief growth officer, you know, titles yet, but you see like VP growth and, and there you're not really talking about necessarily doing media buying. You're talking about like just, just, um, overall, like kind of ownership of the growth of the product through whatever means. Right. And so, yeah, you'd probably have a Facebook person reporting to that, that person, but maybe just one or two. Um, and then you'd have probably product managers who are focused on the onboarding experience and who are focused on, um, you know, different aspects of like invitation mechanics and stuff and optimizing that. So it's like a much more holistic view now. Um, and there's not as much tension, I think, between like, oh, well, we're performance marketers and we're brand. Yeah. I mean, I think because, I, you know, I've, I've experienced that in my career where, where there was a lot of tension between those two roles. And I think now um, they're being rolled up into one who takes like holistic measurement of just, hey, you know, I don't care how we get it done, but we need to grow the DAU of this app. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I've all, I've been saying for for a year now that all brand marketing is performance marketing, and all performance marketing is brand marketing, right? And I think we're seeing that more and more and more. 
Uh, the other things that, that we were uh, talking about prepping for this was, you know, the future of mobile marketing. We see media mix modeling, incrementality, omni-channel, and probabilistic attribution. Can you uh, talk a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. So, so that's, that's, I mean, just kind of an extension of what I was saying. Like, that is marketing now. It's like, okay, I understand how to measure incrementality. I understand how to at least put together a media mix model and under, and and um, evaluate the you know like kind of performance at a macro level. Um, you know, I, I understand like if if you know if I can't attribute something, I can sort of like probabilistically attribute it, right? I don't need that direct um, that sort of like dr attribution link. I, I you know I ha I have it for some campaigns, but I I can attribute everything. Um, because I have like a probabilistic model that tells me, hey, like when I when I had TV ads running, um, I got this uplift, and and hey, when I have, um, you know, when I allocate twenty percent more to of budget to Facebook, like um, I got this level of uplift, um, even though I was doing view through ads and I had um, you know other video ads running on YouTube or whatever. So I think that's 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 like the really cool stuff too. I mean, that's the interesting stuff. So. Um, to plug uh, my new project, yes, um, I launched I launched a website recently called Quantmar, um, where I think I'm I I'm, I want to I wanted to create a place where the discussion could be focused around um, those like really meaningful topics. Those um, I guess it's kind of like I, I think it's kind of like the frontier of marketing right now. Um, but I, I wanted to I wanted to give people a place to discuss that kind of stuff um, and to actually like share knowledge um, and build credibility. Uh, in those areas uh, for the purposes of like their own personal brand building for recruiting um, and, and for just general purpose, like knowledge sharing um, so that there was a place where you could have information that was, that was vetted by the community as being credible, as being um, useful, valuable. Um, and you didn't have to rely on content marketing. So like present, present company excluded uh, most uh, marketing content, um, you know, is just, vendor content marketing is just really bad right um it's 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 promotional it's usually like pretty just just like factually inaccurate or, or um misleading um and so i wanted to actually and and you know the university um sort of like marketing uh environment is is also it just feels like really out it's like lagging by 20 years what what industry is doing um you know, it's just not current. And so I wanted to create a place where people could like find like really useful, valuable uh, insight on how to do like kind of cutting edge modern marketing. So that's quantmar.com. It's basically like a stack exchange or a Quora for, for performance marketers. And, and why did that not fit in the mobile dev memo sort of container? Uh, I thought so. One, I didn't want this to be seen as like pigeonholed into mobile because I think these topics like so not only is kind of the modern modern marketing is is kind of extending beyond just like dr um and, and i think when i say modern marketing i mean modern performance marketing right so i'm a, I'm a performance marketer i you know i i totally agree with you about um you know brand is wrapped up in performance there's no reason to think of those as um like sort of binary opposites because what's the opposite of performance marketing it's like non-performance marketing <laughs> right so it's just not it's just doing things poorly um Brand brand is definitely falls under the performance marketing umbrella, um, but so not only like even for people that are so even for people that are promoting apps, m m you know like modern marketing has moved past just direct response on mobile, right? So it's yes. it's so I didn't want to I didn't want this to be seen as just like a resource for mobile people, um, and I think so. My goal with mobile dev memo has always been 
kind of to build my own personal brand. And I didn't want this to be seen as like a, um, I don't know, like a, like a, an exercise in, in, you know, building, you know, in, in promoting myself. Um, and, and also I think, um, I'm, I want to build out a kind of ecosystem of, of, um, of kind of like properties or, you know, whatever sites. Um, and it felt like that, um, the ability to kind of like ping pong people between those two, uh, those two websites. And then, but then also across the, um, the Slack group was just really powerful and, and it, it'd have like a multiplicative effect rather than just sort of putting it under MDM. Um, so my, one of my goals with Quanmore and I've got, um, I've got a developer working on this right now is I want that to become a recruiting platform. So my, I think in general, mobile marketers tend to be like totally underpaid. Um, I think if you, if you're operating, like, let's say that you're overseeing a budget of like 5 million a month, right? So you're 60 million a year. I mean, there are hedge funds that size. Um, and so you should be paid to that standard, not to the standard of the agency person who does Facebook campaigns. Um, and I think, you know, being able, like being able to sort of showcase your knowledge and your expertise, um, you know, what, what avenues do you have to do that? You've got LinkedIn, that's basically it and your professional reputation. But I think, you know, from people that you've worked with, I think, it, you know, I wanted to give people an opportunity to like really showcase their knowledge. Um, and a, as a result to increase their, uh, their value and in, increase their, their market price. And so I've got some cool features coming with Quantmar that are going to um, facilitate that. But in, I mean, even now you can go and you can show, hey, I'm I'm the I'm one of the foremost experts on Facebook marketing. I understand these how these algorithms work better than anyone, and like that really does separate you out. You know, it's it's definitely a better way to showcase your um, your value than just submitting a CV to a to a hiring company. So I think I want to create I want Quantmar to be a place for knowledge sharing, a place for um, you know, building like a credible content pool, content library, um, you, you know, that, that really like sort of like moves the, um, moves the field forward. But I also want it to be a place where recruiters go and they find candidates. Wonderful. Wonderful. That sounds super exciting. I know I'll be hanging out there. I want to thank you again for being our inaugural guest on the very first edition of Growth Masterminds podcast. Uh, and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day in Texas. Yeah, cheers, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye.